Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, I'm Peter King, and welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a varied podcast. We're going to start with Gotham Chopra, who's the creator and the brains behind Tom vs. Time, the documentary that showed us for the first time ever what Tom Brady is really like. Then we'll be joined by Nikki Jabvala, the... Uh, beat writer covering the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post. And finally, uh, a veteran NFL executive, Joe Banner, uh, who will discuss the craziness in the early days of free agency. And that's where we're going to start first. Uh, there's a couple of things that that I think uh, are notable about the early moments of free agency. And, and when you listen to this podcast, uh, I'm recording this, uh, early Tuesday afternoon, and you will listen to it probably on Wednesday or, or whenever you listen to it. And you'll probably notice that there are an awful lot of people who you wonder, geez, is he really worth all that money? Um, and and so a, a couple of things about the money and a couple of things about, uh, you know, the relative place of the players in the NFL right now with these contracts. So when you look at where we're going in the NFL right now, I asked Joe Banner this question later in the podcast, but and I raised the point in Monday Morning Quarterback this week, that how amazing it is, really, when you think about it, that when the dust settles from free agency, the two highest paid players in NFL history will be... Uh, will be a couple of quarterbacks, neither of whom have ever won a playoff game, Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo. And and look, I think what this says essentially, uh, and, and you'll hear some of this from Joe Banner later on, but I think what it says uh, essentially is that teams in the National Football League are convinced now more than ever that they are not going to enter a season without someone who they feel is a major answer at quarterback. And all you have to do is look at the exorbitant uh, numbers that Cousins, uh, that Case Keenum uh, will sign for in Denver. And you basically just have to say, okay, um, these teams right now are convinced that they they don't have a great chance to play football in January unless they enter the season with a quarterback they can be confident in. Now, there are just so many of those. Football history uh, shows you that there aren't 32 of those. There aren't 25 of those. 
there might be about 20 of those who you can enter a season and say, if this guy plays at a B to B plus level for him, we've got a good chance to make the playoffs. So I think now that you look at the landscape in pro football, I'm going to tell you three teams to watch going forward because what happens with them at quarterback is going to tell the tale of the playoff season in 2018. I'm going to start with the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo is a fascinating team because everything that they have done since draft day 2017 is getting prepared to take their long-term quarterback of the future in 2018. All you have to do is look at the fact that they got another extra first-round pick uh, in in a trade uh, last year uh, on draft day. And so this year, they possessed, uh, entering this week, the 21st and 22nd picks in the draft. Then they traded left tackle Cordy Glenn to Cincinnati and got back the 12th pick in the draft in exchange for 21. So now they sit there with 12 and 22 in the first round, which is plenty good enough to trade up into the top four or five um, and maybe even the top three uh, to get the quarterback uh, who they want. I don't know who that is. A lot of speculation that it might be Josh Allen of Wyoming. Uh, But whoever it is, they will get a long-term quarterback in the draft this year. Second team I would look at is the Arizona Cardinals. Because Arizona, it seems, uh, was never smitten, never really wanted to make Kirk Cousins a $30 million player, and was never really smitten with anybody in this crop to really go wild about them. So whatever they end up with, I expect that there's a very good chance that Arizona also will take a quarterback in the 2018 draft. And then finally, we go to the Cleveland Browns. Now, everybody says, okay, they got Tyrod Taylor from Cleveland. So now they got Tyrod Taylor from Cleveland. That means that they can take something else right at the top of the draft. And I do not believe that that is the thinking of Cleveland general manager John Dorsey for a very simple reason. Entering this offseason, John Dorsey looked at his team and he said, who in the world in their right mind would have ever said, hey, Deshaun Kaiser and just some schmoes are going to quarterback our team. It's almost like in the NBA where the Dallas Mavericks and all these other teams try to lose games, which is the most nonsensical crap that I've ever heard of in team sports. I mean, why in the world would you pay good money or ask your fans to pay good money to go to games knowing that behind the scenes you're telling everybody, hey, don't try your best or whatever it is that these teams in the NBA do. I think it is absolutely idiotic. Um, and anybody who would do that in the NFL, I think that they shouldn't work in the NFL. You, you, you can't be that disingenuous with your fans. But anyway, the Cleveland Browns, uh, to me, I mean, Tyrod Taylor might be the long-term quarterback of that team, but the only way that he is is if he plays great this year. If he's the Tyrod Taylor he's been the last couple of years in Buffalo, okay, uh, B to B minus quarterback, let's say C plus quarterback. Uh, he is not going to be their long-term quarterback. He's got one year left on his contract. And the Cleveland Browns, I believe, whether it be with pick number one or pick number four, the Browns will take their long-term quarterback at the top of this draft. So 
Those three teams, Buffalo, Cleveland, Arizona, right now to me are the most compelling, exciting, interesting teams post-Kirk Cousins that we're going to see uh, on the quarterback front in the NFL. And now my conversation with Gotham Chopra. Happy to be joined by Gotham Chopra, who is the brain behind uh, the Tom versus Time. I guess I'd call it a documentary. Uh, and Gotham, you're going to correct me on this, but I believe it was about 90 minutes separated into six installments uh, that basically t- showed the real life of Tom Brady, which had never been shown anywhere before. And for those of us who've covered football for a long, to- a long time, to get the real Brady uh, is uh, is quite an achievement. Um, so, Gotham, welcome. And I, I would, I guess, I would start. I, I know the answer to this, but I think people listening to this probably wouldn't know. Just tell us how this came about that you were able to get Tom Brady to have a camera follow him around for most of a year. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm, as, as you know, I'm a big fan, and so it's it's thrilled to actually be with you on your podcast. Um, I have been friends with Tom for four or five years and uh, worked with him across that time. We've done some other stuff, you know, not featuring Tom, but, you know, we have a series uh, called Religion of Sports that Tom's been a big part of. Um, across that time, you know, going Back as far as five years ago, I was telling Tom, hey, you know, we should do something together because what you're doing even then um, is historic. And, and I've, you know, believed that as a fan, as a friend of his, as a kid who grew up in New England, has been a Patriots fan my whole life and remembers the not so great days, you know, before Tom Brady. So um, he would always very politely <laughs> decline and say, yeah, I'm not ready. No, I don't want, you know, that's not my sort of thing. And then, you know, about a year ago now, actually, um, last off season, I think after the prior season where the Patriots obviously had a historic comeback against the Falcons, but that whole season was, you know, starting with the suspension, uh, his mother being unwell um, and recovering. I think there were so many things going on that Tom was kind of like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I should have had a camera. Maybe I should have been capturing some of that stuff. And then so last off season, as he was prepping, turning 40 and all the chatter about like, you know, he can't do it again. I think Tom's a, you know, he's like a lot of these athletes. He's this alpha competitive guy. And he was kind of like, oh, you don't think I can? Okay watch me. And so we started really as an off-season thing. And it was really Tom's idea to some extent. I mean, I had been bothering him for a couple of years, but he was the one who called me up and, and started it last year. And it started as an off-season. How do you physically prepare at the age of 40 to continue to perform at such an elite level? And then it was me who kind of sort of convinced him, hey, we've, we've set this great question up. Now let's keep on going and see if we can pay it off and see what happens. You know what? What I remember about these episodes, basically, uh, I remember two specific moments overall, okay? The first, uh, the first moment I remember is in the first episode, right at the end. And so the first episode basically had a lot of what uh, Brady went through in the offseason and a lot of stuff about him getting ready to play the season, 
And it culminated in the Patriots losing the first game of the season to Kansas City. And I might say lost rather decisively to Kansas City at home. And you uh, basically, I believe this is you in the backseat of the car, and you'll have to tell me if this is correct. You're in the backseat of the car. Tom is in the driver's seat driving. Giselle Bunchen, his wife, is in the passenger seat. And she basically is giving him a pep talk. He is sullen, ticked off, uh, depressed. You prepare your whole off season, and you go and lay an egg, lay an egg in the first game. And she basically says, "Hey, this can't happen overnight. You know these guys. A lot of them are new. They need to get to know who you are. You need to get chemistry with them." And when I saw that, here's what I thought: I thought, you know, a lot of people would think. Tom Brady, trophy wife, most beautiful woman in the world, all that. And what you noticed from there and what you showed as this series went on is that this is a real, uh, they are really, really close. And they are, you know, the proverbial soulmates, you know, in so many ways. And I thought that was really an impressive moment when I look back at, at, at this series. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing moment. You know, by then I'd already spent a lot of time um, with Tom, especially over the off season. I traveled literally around the world, with, you know, to. You went to China, him. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went to China and Japan with him and his son Jack. I was in Costa Rica with him and Giselle. I was in Montana with him and Danny and Ju- Julian, and and so we had spent a lot of time. And I too was sort of like, wow, this is going to be an amazing season. People were talking about the Patriots going undefeated and all of that. So I was very much on that ride. And then that first game came, and it was, like you said, I mean, it was just a giant sort of disappointment. And by the way, the storytelling part of me was like, wow, this is kind of great. Like, you know, you need tension, and that was great tension. And, yes, I was sitting in the back of that car holding on for dear life because Tom was super pissed and just wanted to go home and probably watch tape and <laughs> and, prob- and, and probably didn't want you in the back seat at that moment. Didn't want me, <laughs> and, I mean, I think he, lo- he very much loves his wife. But, you know, we've all sort of been in that situation where you've just had a really frustrating day at work and all you want to do is get home and go to sleep or do whatever you do. And she, we've also, a lot of us have probably been on the other side of that conversation. She just wanted to help and console him. And, you know, she's trying to sort of, like you said, give him a pep talk. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. And I couldn't, I was pinching myself again. Just, <laughs> I couldn't believe I was sort of witnessing that and being able to record it. Um, but, yeah, that's when I knew, again, we had – I mean, at every step of the way, I kind of knew, wow, this is amazing. Oh, my God, this is even more amazing. And, you know, it, it was super intimate at the beginning, but I had a camera crew, and we were in Tom's backyard as he was training for the off season. But it got more and more and more intimate to the point where, yeah, I was struggling, you know, like I said, to hold on. I've ne- I haven't shot a camera since – you know, my film school days. And so re-figuring out, because that was something that Tom became more and more, like, especially as the season, you know, started. And there's a lot of sensitivity around, you know, cameras and the Patriots facility and all of that sort of stuff. So it was like, hey, you know, if we're going to do this, Gotham, it has to be you and you have, you're the sound guy, you're the camera guy. So, yeah, I mean, what we lost in cinema, I was sort of say we gained in intimacy. But and but I but I have to off. I have to tell you something. The fact that that shot from the back seat was almost like cinema verite. 
It yeah. was it was film noir. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> but it, it was it just really, really struck me. I wanted it to be gritty and the camera bouncing a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. the worst thing would have been if it was lit perfectly and yeah. and a tear was coming down her face or something. Or, and I and I'm not saying that it was, but but you know, sometimes it's dark. And you can't see that well. And that's what that was at twelve thirty at night, you know? Yeah. And they're they are I mean, going back to your original question, they are a very real couple. They're incredibly close. I mean they're Look, they are also he's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived, and she's the greatest supermodel that's ever lived. And so they have this sort of mythical life, but they also have this very real marriage and this busy lives. And, um, you know, I'm in New York right now doing some I was doing some stuff with Tom and Giselle was leaving for Brazil. And, you know, they're coordinating a million things. So that part is somewhat unrelatable. But then there's a very relatable side of them. And the back of that car was very relatable. Yeah. Um Speaking with Gotham Chopra, whose uh, documentary Tom vs. Time just had its sixth episode drop this week um, on Facebook Watch. And, you know, look, Gotham, I'm 60 years old. I have no clue what Facebook Watch is. But I would assume Facebook Watch must be pretty happy with the numbers they've gotten with this thing because it is so vivid and so cool. Um, the, the, the other thing I want to ask you is about this last episode. Because I think it has left uh, a lot of questions in the eyes and in the mind, rather, of Patriots fans and just football watchers like me. You know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of speculation during the year that uh, Belichick and Brady, Belichick and Kraft, uh, with the Patriots, uh, basically were reaching an end point. Um, and so there was an ESPN story by Seth Wickersham late in the season in which he talked about that at great length. So I guess I would, I would ask you as somebody who obviously was closer to Tom and, and there were some hints at this, that he really wasn't very happy the last year or so, especially with what Giselle said in her last uh, interview with you. And I wondered what impression did do you take away from that on Tom Brady's future there? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's, it's a tough one to answer because, first of all, in fairness, you know, I I spent a lot of time with Tom, obviously, but we were very particular um, and and careful, frankly, about the Patriot way, you know. And right. I I'm a Patriots fan. I know I know what the Patriot. I've been a fan for a long time, an admirer of the organization, of the coach, and and part of that is not getting in the way, not being a distraction, not being a distraction for Tom, certainly not like filming in and around the stadium. So my exposure was all to Tom in his car, in his house, and, you know, with his family and that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I think the last two seasons, and that is kind of what Giselle says in that last interview, have been very challenging for him, both because of stuff off the field, you know, going back to the suspension, his parent, his mom getting um, unwell, et cetera. 
Um, but yeah, also I think you know, there. Look, it's an 18-year marriage, and it's been an incredibly successful run. Um, and I think that. But it, there's a lot of intensity and a lot of pressure and a lot of big personalities. And Tom is one of them. And, and I think, you know, that hasn't been easy. I did find it was interesting at the end of the season, you know, like it all kind of faded away because when you get to the postseason, like everybody gets, no matter what has been going on, everybody gets on the same page. Um, and and focuses and again they had another incredible run i mean i do think we're talking and that's what he says at the end is like this is a very different off season for him and i think that's not again necessarily what happened during the season it's the fact that he's got three growing kids a wife who's like hey you know i've been kind of putting stuff on hold for a while and i'm you know i want to go out and do my thing now too and so tom's juggling a lot of things and and I think that's basically what he says at the end is like I gotta I gotta recalibrate and I have to find that conviction again. Um, I think he will, but you know I think this idea that he's going to play for four or five more seasons. I mean, this is just me, the guy who's been around him for a while now. Like I'd I'd have a hard time envisioning that to be candid, um, but you know. But we'll see. I mean, I, I do think that these next few weeks and months are a really critical time for him. What's interesting is that you set out to do this thing about Tom versus time. And you would think that with Tom Brady winning the MVP and Tom Brady leading the Patriots to the Super Bowl at age 40 and having the best season for an old man in NFL history – that this would be a colossal raging inferno of a success. And while definitely personally it's a success, you almost feel like because Tom Brady is so intent on winning that you almost feel at the end of this that even though he set out to be great and he was great and in all ways, you feel like I don't want to say it's a it's a letdown, but you feel a little bit empty at the end of this show because Brady is so pissed off that they didn't win. And you know, he deals with it okay. And he and he deals with his kids that that you don't always win. And it's and it's a phony reality to think that everything you do, you're gonna be successful at and you're gonna win. But that really struck me, the sort of dichotomy between those things that he set out to prove he could still do it, and he did it better than anybody, and yet you feel just a little bit empty at the end of it. Yeah, he describes it. You know, we did that sort of, I call it an exit interview about five days after the Super Bowl, and he describes it as a crash landing. And, you know, life goes back to normal to some extent. Again, he's got, you know, um, three young kids, um, two of whom he was preparing for school the day, you know, putting on their mittens and getting them, you know, Boston was cold, et cetera. So, but you could, so he's sort of physically there, but you could tell like mentally he still was trying to process um, you know, what, what happened five days before. And I was with him yesterday and it's, I don't know, about six weeks now. And he's still, I mean, he's better now. He's processed more of it. But I, I just think Tom has mastered the sort of physical aspect, like all the stuff he does with Alex Guerrero and the, you know, TB12 method and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think the mental part, like in the emotional part, and I think that's probably something he's still 
you know, it's his family. And, and I think like his kids are growing up and they're demanding in different ways, just, you know, attention. And um, so I think that's the part that he's still kind of trying to manage. And, um, you know, that's that's a challenge and, and something he's still sort of working at. Just let me ask you a couple of things for the record, because nobody's been as close to him as you have been. Is there is there any doubt in your mind that he plays in 2018? No, I, I think, you know, I, I've seen Tom's process, and uh, I would say there's there's very little doubt that he will eventually this season sort of find that thing that will get him back and really amp for next season. I mean, I, I think that he just last year or this past year was very unsatisfying the way it ended, and so I, I would very – I just don't envision him necessarily leaving that as the last taste. Right. And the one other thing I noticed in here is obviously this was all about Tom, but there's a decided lack of Bill Belichick in this in this series. And I wonder if that was by design or if that's just how it happened. Um, I thought it's a little bit of both. I mean, it wasn't like a conscious decision. You know, I think the more I did it, the more I realized, like, this is really about Tom's personal life. And it's really about, I mean, that was like the most fascinating part. And um, and also just, you know, I wouldn't say we did, we had the Patriot support. I mean, they were issuing me credentials and the organization was incredible just because, again, I wanted to be there not to really you know, shoot at the field or do anything like that, but to be able to get into the stadium, get out of the stadium with Tom and all that sort of stuff. But there was definitely a, hey, you know, we have to be mindful of the organization and the process. Um, And so, you know, I didn't push it. And, you know, again, Mr. Kraft was really supportive and aware of the project and stuff like that. But, you know, we were just... And I would say, actually, despite what you see on screen... The vast majority of the stuff was actually filmed during the off season, and then there was right. just sort of like to and from games, um, because it's actually pretty predictable, right? Like the only variable is are they going to win or are they going to lose, which is great because then that car ride home, you know, there were times like Tom, like the first episode where they lost, and you get to see him with Giselle. There are other like he has these incredible comeback victories, and then 45 minutes later he's in the car with his you know kids and he's struggling to sync his Bluetooth phone with the car so he can play Moana sing along because his four-year-old's getting impatient in the back of the car, right? So that, to me, again, was like, oh, this is the stuff that's really cool. What do you sense about his relationship with Bill right now? I think there's incredible respect because, again, of the success over, you know, this sustained amount of time. And, and again, I don't know it from Bill's side, but I think both of them probably know in their heart of hearts that there is not that success without the other one. Um, but I also think they're both, you know, sort of stuck in their ways to some extent. And, uh, you know, I just think the season has an intensity to it. But my guess is, like, they have an off-season process and they sort of, you know, circle back at the appropriate time and get ready for another campaign. There's definitely a healthy respect um, there. Um, Gotham, I'm going to end with this, and it has nothing to do with what you did, but then again, it might have everything to do with what you did. I wonder if you've noticed or have heard that the biggest um, fish in the free agency pond this year is a quarterback named Kirk Cousins from Washington who uh, is going about his process. By the time people listen to this, uh, he may have signed somewhere, but... Uh, I had heard this about two months ago that 
that he had uh, a crew around him and that was going to follow him through all of this and that essentially was going to try to do son of Tom versus time uh, in the uh, at some point and for somebody. A, have you heard about this? B, did they contact you at all? Uh, and, and I guess C, um, is this a little bit, do you think you are a little bit of a harbinger of the future and what you just did with this project? Yeah, so I, I've heard of the project. I, I haven't been contacted specifically by them. Um, but, yeah, I think, look, I think it's an interesting time. Athletes now and celebrities in general have, through these communities that they've built online, like Tom, you know, has, I don't know, 5 million-plus followers on Facebook. Like, they have an, they have a community of people that they can reach directly. And there's Players' Tribune and Uninterrupted and all these different platforms that are out there. So I think there's opportunity. I still think, you know, being with partners and collaborators and creators and storytellers and journalists is really important. So I think there's room for both. Um, yeah, I think it's it's somewhat of a harbinger. I also think mine, you know, and and I, mine was a very unique, perfect storm. I had a long-term relationship with Tom, a very trusting relationship. He was going through something particularly interesting right now because of the season, and then the season unfolded with all this drama and you know that's not something you can script and so i i think what kirk kirk is going through um is interesting and free agency is always interesting because there's a whole sort of story we don't really and you know these are dads and husbands and they have lives and they're sort of trying to figure that out and it's not really as fans something we think about too often so getting to see that'll be interesting but i do think you know Tom Brady is pretty unique in terms of where he is and what he's accomplished. So it's hard for me to, you know, never say never, but like it's, it's a pretty hard story to hard model to replicate. Yeah. Hey Gotham, listen, I really enjoyed getting to speak with you a couple of times this year. And uh, I have great, great admiration for what you've accomplished because, you know, over the years and I've gotten to know Tom a bit, uh, but no one has ever seen this side of him. And I think, without shining your shoes too much. I mean, the football world really ought to be grateful for what you've done because uh, you showed a side of one of the greatest athletes of our lifetime that we never would have seen. And so I think I would just say, A, thanks for being on the show, and B, thanks for uh, giving us this view of Tom Brady that otherwise it's very likely we never would have had. Well, I'm I'm really grateful. Like I said, I've been an admirer of yours for a really long time, and yeah, it was an honor. I mean, I like I said, I grew up in in Boston, and I remember the days of Tony Eason and Steve Grogan and Hugh Millen and Scott Zolak and all of those days. So this was a dream come true for me, and it's an honor to really work with Tom and and uh, be able to share this. So I'm and I'm just thrilled with all the response I hear from people every day. So it's cool um, to have that sort of engagement. Hey, all the best to you, Gotham, and and look forward to speaking down the road. Thanks so much. This is the MMQB Podcast. We all know the value of a good night's sleep. I'm out on the road all the time, so believe me, nothing makes me happier than being back home for a good night's sleep thanks to Mattress Firm. They're going to make your wallet happy, too. The basis for my argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's like having a touchdown and getting the game ball. 
So Mattress Firm, they're, they're like the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they're more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They've got you figuratively and literally covered up, just like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening soon and as soon as you finish this show. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee, so you'll know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now my conversation with someone who knows the Denver Broncos exceedingly well, Nikki Jabvala of the Denver Post. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Happy to be joined by Nikki Jabvala, who is a beat writer covering the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post. Uh, She's been on the beat for four years, uh, a proud uh, Tar Heel, and uh, she is sort of in the middle of a storm now because the Broncos, ever since Peyton Manning walked out, have been searching for that quarterback, and they've gone from... Brock Osweiler to Paxton Lynch to uh, to uh, Trevor Simeon uh, to Paxton Lynch to Brock Osweiler to Trevor Simeon and who knows who else. But um, uh, as we speak, uh, the Broncos, uh, it has been reported, have signed or have agreed rather uh, to a contract with Case Keenum. Uh, the free agent quarterback from Minnesota. So anyway, Nikki, hey, uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so let's just start. And with I want you to read the John Elway tea leaves and tell me why did he jump out uh, less than 24 hours into the process and sign a guy who I assume and I presume was the number two guy on his hit list behind Kirk Cousins. Well, from what I was told, um, 
they really felt like Case Keenum was the best fit for them. They had preliminary talks with Kirk Cousins um, when the legal tampering period opened, but then they quickly moved on to Keenum and got an agreement wrapped up. I think a lot of it, frankly, has to do with his time with Gary Kubiak and even Vance Joseph when he was down there in Houston. Uh, I think those connections mean a lot. And if you remember earlier um, this year, they announced that Gary Kubiak would have an elevated role as a senior personnel advisor, which means he plays a big part in you know, selecting their free agents, um, evaluating their free agents, as well as their draft prospects. So, um, I, I think when Gary Kubiak was brought back on, it became very clear that he was going to play a significant role in this process. And he's spoken very highly of Keenum over the years, um, signing a kid as an undrafted free agent out of uh, Houston in 2012. So we knew Keenum liked him. We knew he was on the radar. I think many just presumed that Cousins was number one because he's number one uh, on most teams' list. Um but the Broncos, as, as they've told us all along, is you know they they have to fill that quarterback spot. They have to get better there. But it's certainly not the only need on their list this year. And they don't have an unlimited cap space like so many of these other quarterback needy teams. So they have to be a, a bit cognizant of uh, of their books for now as as well as the next couple of years. And I, I think that's uh, another reason why they went with Keenum on a shorter term deal. That's a little more, um, you know, team-friendly, per se, just in terms of cost. What's your understanding right now, and I'm sure uh, when this podcast drops early Wednesday morning, we'll know more. What's your understanding of the parameters of the contract? From what I was told, it's a shorter-term deal, maybe two or three years, and it's um, averaging what most people reported, which is around 18 to $20 million a year, which, you know, is still quite a bit, but significantly less than what many are expecting Kirk Cousins to possibly land um, wherever he ends up. And, you know, after Jimmy Garoppolo and the 27.5 a year, I think most view that as a floor for him. So, you know, 18 to 20, quite a bit still, but, you know, certainly more manageable um, than the other options. And I'm not quite sure how they're going to structure it. Yeah, what his cap hit will be in year one and year two. So still waiting on that. Nikki, um, tell me whether this makes sense to you, that uh, Elway on Monday talks to Mike McCartney, the agent for Cousins, uh, makes whatever offer he makes, gets some understanding that they're probably going to go in a different direction, then goes and gets aggressive with Cousins do you, or with uh, Keenum. Do you think that's how it happened, or do you think – that uh, that they more uh, were intent on Keenum at a lesser value from the start? I don't think they even got to the offer stage with Cousins. At least that's what I was told. I think they were more intent uh, on going with Keenum. And this is a name that's been floated around the Broncos for quite some time now. I remember you know, hearing this potential scenario as early as the Super Bowl uh, when Elway and Vance were coaching Baker and, and Josh Allen, you know, there was a lot of talk of the Broncos really going after Case Keenum, not necessarily Kirk Cousins. What I find interesting is that um, John Elway was at one of the Broncos' last uh, games last season in Washington, so he got an up-close view of Kirk Cousins. I'm sure he's talked with um, Mike Shanahan over the last couple months to get his analysis. And I mean, we all know that Shanahan was a guy that drafted Kirk Cousins, so he has insight. Um, 
But, you know, I know this time of year is when L.A. does um, some pretty extensive homework on all these guys. They talked to a lot of people. They watched a lot of tape. And they felt like Keenum was the best fit for not just off the field and, and kind of writing their ship that has it's kind of fallen apart over the last couple of years, but also being a, a leader. They don't have that one um, leader, not just on offense, but, you know, the team as a whole. I mean, they lost Gaten Manning. They lost to Marcus Ware. They need that leader, and they really feel like Case Keenum can fill that void. Uh, Nikki, um, I also wanted to ask you about just sort of the future now of Paxton Lynch. I would assume if they can get something for Trevor Simeon, they'd trade him, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a six or a seven. But but tell me about the remaining quarterbacks on board and what their future is. Yeah, I think they're trying to move Trevor Simeon. Um, you know, I know that was a hope of him and his agent just to give him a fresh start. Um, started 24 games for them, but things kind of fell apart last year. Um, that offense got out of control. Um, but he is, you know, he's had two shoulder surgeries at this point. They still feel like they can get something in return for him because, you know, quarterbacks are worth their weight in gold in the NFL. Um, but as far as Paxton, uh, John L.A. said definitively at the Combine that he will be back. He's not given up on him yet. However, um, it, I think a lot of that is dependent on what they do in the draft. If they go and get another quarterback in the first round, be it at, you know, number five, or if they trade back and get one later in the first round, I think that will say a lot about what they think of Paxson and his potential to develop into a, a viable backup or even a starter in the future. Um, you know, I think they hoped he would be farther along at this point in his career, though they understood it was a, a big transition, especially coming from, from Memphis's system. Um, but it, I, I think big picture, it seems like they're kind of ready to move on. They don't have much time to wait on him anymore. Um, I, he's staying put probably because of financial reasons. Too. It, it would cost more to cut him than keep him at this point. Um, the other one they have on the roster is Chad Kelly. I, I could see him staying on maybe in a, um, as a camp buddy. He's really had no experience um, at the pro level. And he's, he's, got a, he's got a great arm, too. too. Great arm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and now he has a relationship with Jim Kelly. Um, but because he was on injury reserve, he hardly even got to practice with the team. So he's a total unknown um, at the NFL level. I, I think they will give him a chance to compete um, and go from there. But, you know, he he's not making a whole lot as, you know, the last pick in the draft in 2017. So, um We'll, we'll see with him, but I would expect them to bring another quarterback in somehow, be it a, another veteran or you know draft a guy. So you know we'll what would see. be you know what is what's amazing about the way the NFL works. Look at basically what has happened in the last two years when you go from Brock Osweiler being a uh, whatever he was an eighteen million dollar a year guy who the Broncos fought to keep and lost. And then he was a crushing disappointment. He ends up uh, going to Houston, going to Cleveland, and going back to Denver. And now it's it's totally bizarre to me. But Brock Osweiler, you know, could very well be out of football this year. What's your absolute gut feeling as we sit here right now about whether Brock Osweiler gets another chance somewhere? 
I still think he'll get another chance as a backup and kind of, you know, end up being that, you know, perennial journeyman, just adding depth to rosters. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think his career is a total wash. Honestly, I think he was put in kind of a, an odd situation in Houston. It didn't sound like everybody was on the same page over there. And, you know, he's kind of spoken of that uh, quite a bit. I know he loves Denver and he would like to stay here. I'm not sure it's really in the cards for him, especially as they kind of remake that entire room. Um, but but I still think somebody will give him a chance. He's still an athletic guy. He's a smart guy. He works his butt off. Um, so I, I do think he's still capable of playing at this level. Um, but, he, he, yeah, you look back over the last, you know, two years for him, it's been an incredible ride. Um, you look back at the last few years for quarterbacks in general, just the inflation is just wild to me. Um, you know, his deal was, I, I think, one of the strangest, but you know, we're seeing more and more now guys getting massive deals with very little experience. So you're, you're spending a ton and just hoping for the best, you know? The craziest thing to me, uh, as we finish with Nikki Javala of the Denver Post, the craziest thing to me is that um, the two highest paid players in NFL history uh, a week from today will be Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo. And that just says, it just says everything about the state of football in that people are going to pay a ridiculous premium for quarterbacks. Well, they should. And once mm-hmm. they believe in one of them, they're going to, they're going to overpay because there are so few alternatives. And, as the Denver Broncos found out, if you get mediocre play, your chances of being even eight and eight are are poor, and that's yeah. that's exactly what this to me that's exactly what this this off season is about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two of the highest paid players don't have a playoff win between them. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's a little crazy. Nikki Javala, the Denver Post. Thanks so much for for briefing me and briefing all of our. Uh, listeners uh, about what's going on in Denver. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. And now to talk all things NFL and to look ahead to the CBA of 2021, longtime NFL executive Joe Banner. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Happy to be joined by Joe Banner, who uh, is a very familiar name uh, to NFL followers, former president of the Philadelphia Eagles, former CEO of the Cleveland Browns, uh, and now happily ensconced in semi-slash-mostly retirement, I guess, just looking at this craziness where the NFL does not allow anyone to take even a long weekend anymore because things never stop happening. So, Joe, first of all, I want to ask you, It's as we record this, it's late Tuesday morning. Uh, you know, it looks like the quarterbacks are all finding landing spots. But as you sort of watch this, uh, what do you think of the craziness of the big money? And what do you think of the way the league is operating right now in this, quote, legal tampering period, end quote. Well, I like watching it without the stress that I'm used to having while it's happening, so that part is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the money is just starting to catch up, frankly, with the increases in the cap. I mean, that's why we have 
$1.1 billion worth of available room at the moment because, believe it or not, with the amount of money that the players are making and the increases we've seen, the contracts are actually increasing at a slower rate than the cap. So, you know, we're starting to see a little bit more of that spent, but we'll see if that continues or if it stops after these first two or three days, as, as we've seen, you know, the last few years. Are you in any way surprised that, I don't know, a week from now, four or five days from now, as we record this, the two highest paid players in NFL history will be Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo? (laughs) Well, I'm not surprised by Kirk at all. I actually think the strategy he's employed is brilliant. Um, You mean the strategies by by his agent? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, – and I don't know if it was the plan at the beginning because theoretically in the first year they did make a counteroffer to the Redskins uh, or if they kind of stumbled into it when they got a little disappointed and frustrated. But when you're that age, uh, taking two tags to be the first relatively young, uh, quality – I'm not saying great, but quality quarterback to ever hit the free agent market, be able to dictate the terms of that deal, the location, who you want to play with – um, this is a unique moment that I think is going to change all contracts uh, as we go forward here. We've already seen a number of the deals announced early in free agency here are three-year deals with much higher percentage of guarantee than we've seen ever. So I think what they've done and the deal they're about to get uh, is transformative. And if I was representing a quality player at a difference-making positions, I would replicate do you believe that the contracts, many of them, are going to be three years because uh, players want to get one more bite at the apple the year that the new collective bargaining uh, agreement will be negotiated? Because a three-year contract gives you 18, 19, and 20. Uh, the NFL and the players are going to have to negotiate a new contract in 2021. Theoretically, there would be there certainly wouldn't be less money theoretically there would be more money in there for let's say a Kirk Cousins at age 33 to sign maybe his last contract in the NFL where there would be more resources than there would be now yeah i think there are two reasons one that you just mentioned is definitely going to be some movement towards the players i believe in the next cba uh, and no reason to think we're not going to continue to have increased revenues that they'll get a larger percentage of so i think that's one factor I think the second factor is this, and I've said this for years. I whispered it when I was working for a team because I didn't really want people to start to think this way. I've never understood why players took the equivalent of two, occasionally three years' worth of guaranteed money and gave the team five to six years of their rights. It never made any sense to me. And even as a team guy, if forced to be, I would have been willing to sign a shorter deal, maybe get a little bit better average, but a shorter deal, and give the player another bite at the apple. It wasn't my preference because I like the unguaranteed years. Tremendous power for the team. But I think that we see both of the things that you mentioned that I'm adding to it happening. Uh, and, you know, a guy like Sammy Watkins signs a three-year deal. He's going to get two or three more bites at the apple, possibly, if he can stay healthy. So this is what should have been happening. This is what the market should have been doing uh, to kind of equalize itself for years. And I think now that we see it starting to happen, it's only going to get more and more true. Joe, I want to uh, ask you a little bit about your perception of what has happened in Philadelphia. Uh, Obviously, you work for the Eagles uh, for a long time, uh, going on two decades. Um, And 
uh, now where we saw um, they kind of graduate uh, to Chip Kelly at first, uh, in which Howie Roseman, uh, the presumptive general manager at that point, uh, basically lost all of his power in the organization uh, to Chip Kelly. And then Kelly left after three seasons, and Howie Roseman got it back. What do you think, now that they've won a Super Bowl, what's the moral of the story of the way the Philadelphia Eagles have operated over the last five years? Well, I think, first of all, what Jeff Lurie did in keeping Howie in the building when Chip was still there was something that I think anybody from a management perspective, in or out of football, would have thought uh, was kind of a crazy idea and potentially undermining. And, in fact, it turned out to be a great move uh, and showed that he really never lost his faith in Howie, just recognized that that dynamic wasn't working and needed to give Chip a chance. Um, and when that didn't work, he had the courage to step up and make a decision that could have easily been questioned that has turned out to be a really good move. You know, the other thing they've done, though, is uh, some continuation of the things we were doing in terms of re-signing a key core group of players early uh, and build a team that's dominated by quarterback and lines. And if you see what they're starting to do as they put together next year's team, they're continuing to do that. And really, Peter... There's no absolutes, but if you want to play the most likely path to win a Super Bowl, it's get a great quarterback and dominate both lines of scrimmage. It's not the only way to do it, but it's certainly the best and most frequently successful way of doing it. So they've practiced a, a, a formula that, that I know from time back we studied extensively, the most likely ways to win, uh, and they've replicated, and they've taken some chances, and they've shown a lot of guts and of risk aversion uh, that I think is great for them and great for the league. Joe, you um, were one of the many people put in power by Jimmy Haslam and uh, in his very (laughs) short time with the Cleveland Browns. And I wonder now, as you look at Cleveland, especially let's say even over that same five year period that we just talked about with the Eagles, um, we always wonder this. Okay, is this finally the uh, the guy that Jimmy Haslam is going to give the the freedom and the possibility to succeed long term in John Dorsey? What's your sense of John Dorsey's staying power, and what is your sense of whether Jimmy Haslam has has learned the patience now that he needs to have? Uh, you know, to to run a franchise long term? Well, I think that uh, the chances are better than they've been (laughs) as far as I go. Um, I work with Jimmy. I do think he's somebody that tries to learn from mistakes and be introspective about things. I think he's profoundly aware of how the market views the changes he's made and the difficulty uh, that's potentially out there in attracting people. Um, and I do think he's gone a more traditional route here that is likely to be less criticized and therefore maybe lead to a little more patience because I do think he's influenced by outside noise. <clears throat> you know, on the other hand, you know, he's got still this dynamic that I've never uh, felt great about when you bring a new general manager and leave him inheriting somebody else's head coaching hire. 
Um, so whether he'll give John time or whether he'll give this combination time or how committee is to hew is something I'm still worried about. I'm encouraged that they made some moves early that indicated John is clearly, you know, grabbing uh, control of the situation. I mean, it's no secret that Hugh really loved McCarran and probably could have gotten him for less than Taylor. And I'm sure they had internal discussion about it. In the end, John, who's the expert in personnel, made what he thought was the right decision. So I think, and, and must have had Jimmy's support to do that. So I think that's encouraging. But it's still a wait-and-see uh, thing there, although I'm more hopeful that that will happen than I have been previously with this ownership group. If you, if somebody called you tomorrow and said, uh, we're giving you our franchise to run, and you could go out and get your own coach and your own general manager, who would be your, your, your first draft choice for each one? Wow. <laughs> Having not had to do that and not planning on being in a position to do that, I can't tell you I've given that a lot of thoughts. I mean, I helped Atlanta with a search of that led to Dan Quinn. I've uh, been a very vocal supporter of Doug Marone in the couple of years he was sitting out and his ability to be a, uh, a good coach. Um, you know, I thought that Doug Peterson was a good hire with some risk because he wasn't, you know, that great dynamic uh, leader. Um, but certainly had all the other qualities of uh, smarts and personality and integrity. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff talked about just wanting somebody with a high uh, integrity and personal IQ. And I think, you know, those are the kinds of things I'd look for. <clears throat> you know, I'd be afraid of trying to replicate the McVeigh situation, <clears throat> even though I think he's done a great job and will be great in terms of just trying to find the next young, great offensive mind. But I need a little more time. I have to prepare to give you a good answer to that question. Um, finishing up with Joe Banner, I'm curious, Joe, as you sort of look at football over the long haul right now, okay, what do you think is the biggest, uh, the, the biggest problem confronting this game long term that if you're Roger Goodell, you're, the Lord of, you're one of the lords of the game, what concerns you? Uh, number one for me by far is health and safety. The drop, the, the precipitous, huge drop in youth participation in football um, is absolutely – anybody who loves the game, and I'm way on that page, should be very, very worried. Um, I know they're investing in technology. I know they're investing in programs to teach people how to tackle all this kind of stuff. It's not nearly enough. Uh, we still have some people downplaying the uh, – connection of things, which even if it isn't 100% established, shouldn't even matter. Um, it should drive the league in huge, profound ways in conversation and PR message and action and investment uh, in every single way. I, I think that's huge. Uh, if I could put a, a relatively close second, I, I really worry about the next CBA negotiations because the relationships are so bad and people have gotten so far apart um, and lost sight of behaving in a way that's in the best interest of the game. Uh, and, and, you know, I'd hate to see a, a lengthy disruption, which combined with some of the other negative things that are going on at the moment, I think would have a much bigger effect on the league than past, you know, work interruptions have. What's amazing to me is that if you take the entire 10 years of uh, Paul Tagliabue and Roger Goodell, uh, going back to when when Tagliabue got the job in 1989, 
there has not been a work stoppage as of now, as of this year. Uh, this will be the 30th year of the combined, uh, 30th season of the Tagliabue-Goodell eras combined. And there's never been a work stoppage in the whole time. Now, in 2011, there was some off-season falderall, but they never, they've never missed a game. It is amazing to me that in the last three decades, there have been eight work stoppages in the other major sports, and there have been zero in the NFL. That's amazing to me. That, that, it is amazing, and I don't think it's a coincidence that during those very years, football became by far the most popular, successful, interesting of all the leagues. And I hope that when they sit down in the next couple of years, they remember what you just said, and hopefully they agree with what I just said, and they keep that record going. Joe Banner, really appreciate you you joining me and uh, lending some uh, some high knowledge to the podcast this week. My pleasure. Anytime, Peter. All right. Take care. Thanks to my guests, Gotham Chopra, Nikki Jabvala, and Joe Banner. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Roger Goodell, and Vance Joseph. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Mattress Firm. Please support Mattress Firm the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.